0: We could entitle the twists and turns of ministry. Um, And and the thing that really the book of Acts in its entirety, and even in this chapter, illustrates for us and reminds us of, is that every day with God, we just don't know what to expect. Every new day are new possibilities, new opportunities. That's why... When you and I are willing to walk with God in our lives, no two days are ever going to be the same. There's no such thing as a rudder routine with God because there's always something that's going on in our lives or God wanting to put us in contact with others and we just never know what that day is going to look like. And to me, that's one of the great things about walking with God is that every day we wake up with new possibilities, new opportunities. And we see that here in Acts chapter 8 and another thing is that it's just a reminder that I'm sure every one of us if we could have had the opportunity to accompany Paul on on a missionary journey even for a short time it would have been such a learning experience it would have been such a growing experience and yet through the word of God we really get an opportunity to do that that we literally can transport ourselves back to those dusty roads and those twists and turns that Paul and his missionary team was taking and we can insert ourselves in this because God gave us this revelation for obviously a reason. And the reason is that we can gain a lot from, from observing uh, Paul's missionary efforts. And to see all the twists and turns and, and the different opportunities and possibilities that God was giving him and his team along the way. And we are obviously confronted with that tonight here in Acts chapter 18. So with that said, I just wanted to pull out a couple of things that really spoke to me as I studied uh, this passage. I'll begin reading in verse 1. After this, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. There he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to depart from Rome. Basically, Claudius the emperor had all the Jews expelled, at least those that he knew, thrown out of the city of Rome. So their lives were obviously completely turned upside down. Any Jew living in Rome at that time would have had to start over somewhere else. Now notice at the end of verse two, though, Paul approached them. And because he worked at the same trade, he stayed with them and worked with them, for they were tent makers by trade. He addressed both Jews and Greeks in the synagogue every Sabbath, attempting to persuade them. The thing that hit me out of these first four verses of Acts 18 was the fact that Paul approached Aquila and Priscilla. And that might not seem like much to us, but the word approach means to draw near to. And the dynamic is this. There's going to be times in our life where God is leading us to draw near to certain people. And we can see now, taking obviously getting the bigger picture of it, that maybe not at the time did Paul realize it, But obviously, later on, Paul realized what a great thing it was that day that he met Aquila and Priscilla. Because it was out of this relationship with this dear Christian couple that both parties, meaning Aquila and Priscilla and the Apostle Paul, mutually benefited from this relationship. They mutually benefited from this friendship. And it reminds us that there's going to be times where God leads us to draw near to certain people and maybe take the initiative in approaching them and seeking to get together and spend some time together. We never know what God can do through relationships. And so here's this couple who's now been displaced from their home in Rome. They're in this new city, Corinth. Paul's passing through in ministering to them, and God brings these three together. And ever after that, Aquila and Priscilla were major, major figures in Paul's life. They were used by God greatly over and over again in Paul's life, and I'm sure that if they would have had an opportunity to write about it, and maybe they even did, it's just lost, that Aquila and Priscilla would have shared with us how valuable it was to know Paul and to be friends with Paul and to have Paul live with them for a time and to and to impart to them his understanding of the Scriptures. So I didn't want to pass by because a lot of times, again, we read the Scriptures awful quickly and we, we miss some of the great dynamics that's taking place and, and we shouldn't pass by too quickly the fact that Paul drew near to this couple and all three of them were forever changed positively out of Paul being willing to approach Aquila and Priscilla. God may be leading you now or sometime in the future to draw near to someone, realizing that again, it's going to be a mutually beneficial opportunity for both of you. And that was certainly true here verse 5 now when silas and timothy arrived from macedonia paul became wholly absorbed with proclaiming the word testifying to the jews that jesus was the christ the thing that obviously jumped off the page to me was this phrase wholly absorbed it's something all of us i think god god wants to get us to a place where we are wholly absorbed with something of him, you know. And, and the words here mean that something has got a hold of us. Something has got a grip on us. That, that's the kind of language we would use to describe this. In fact, very interestingly, you could also use the word preoccupied, that Paul became preoccupied with proclaiming the word. But this is something very interesting as well. In that culture... This, was, this word was also used to describe someone who was possessed. Obviously, that's a negative thing, like possessed by a demonic spirit. But in a sense, it can also be used in a positive way. In the sense, it's like, this is a man possessed, but not again by a demonic spirit. But he's so possessed, he, God has such a grip on him, uh, his relationship with God is so important to him. The Word of God in reaching people for Christ is something that he's just wholly absorbed, wholly immersed in this. Now, this was something not lost on Paul. This was, in a sense, a, uh, a characteristic that Paul passed on to others as he discipled people and mentored them and led them throughout his life. Keep your finger there in Acts 18 and go over to the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 4. And look at verse 15. 1 Timothy 4, verse 15. Paul's giving Timothy some great advice here about a young minister. And notice what he says in verse 15. Take pains with these things that I've told you about. Be absorbed in them so that everyone will see your progress. Keep that verse and that word especially in mind. We'll come back to that later on tonight. But notice Paul is saying, Timothy, take pains. Be absorbed in what you're doing. That was exactly a description of Paul in his life and ministry. We need to be absorbed in what God is asking us to be involved with and what He's calling us to do. And this is, I think, one of the reasons why Paul was so effective. Because he was gripped by it. He was held by it. He was, in a sense, consumed by it. He was possessed by it. And that's a really important thing that we see coming out of Paul's ministry. Something else, though, that's equally important in verse 6 is this. When they opposed or resisted him, and reviled him, and began to speak evil of him, he protested, By shaking out his clothes and said to them, Your blood be on your heads. I am guiltless. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. In his evangelism, Paul learned to shake it off and move on. To shake off the rejection and move on. In a sense, Paul is rejecting those who reject Christ. In the sense that he's not going to feel bad or guilty about it. He has given them the word of God. It has been clear, but he's not going to sit there and continue to beat his head against a wall that is totally resistant to God. He's going to move on. And so he literally shakes it off and moves on. That's an important principle for us. There are times in our life where God wants us to stick it out and work through things. And there's other times where God says, learn to shake things off and move on. Don't let certain things keep hanging and clinging to us. Because that just is a becomes a weight that weighs us down. It goes back to Hebrews 12 about laying aside every weight and the sin that so easily can cling to us. And, and when we don't allow things to just shake them off and move on, they can begin to wear on us <clears throat> and weigh us down. So, another important principle we see is that Paul learned to shake it off and move on. Maybe that's something that God is saying to you tonight. Maybe he's reminding you. Just like Paul. Look, don't let this keep bothering you. D- don't let this keep you know, hanging on you and becoming a weight, shake it off and move on. I've got other things for you to focus on and be absorbed in. I don't want you to be absorbed in that. And we see that illustrated here with Paul. So verse 7, Paul left the synagogue and went to the house of a person named Titius Justus, a Gentile who worshiped God, whose house just happened to be next door to the synagogue. There are no coincidences with God. Crispus, the president of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians who heard about it believed and were baptized. Now, he's not going to stay the president of the synagogue very long, okay? Uh, In fact, we're going to see something a little humorous later on in the passage. They keep going through presidents of the synagogue because the president of the synagogue keeps believing in Christ and have to keep electing a new president of the synagogue. The Lord said to Paul by a vision the night, or in the night, verse nine. Look at this. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not be silent, because I am with you, and no one will assault you to harm you, because I have many people in this city. And one of the things that struck me is Paul sometimes can come across like a person that wouldn't have any fear, and yet here we we see that that Paul had fears because God would not have come to him in the vision and said, hey, Paul, don't be afraid. So let's be encouraged by that. All of us sometimes struggle with fear, if you will, at at being hesitant or backing down or backing off who God has called us to be and what God has called us to share because basically what God is saying to Paul is, Paul, I want you to keep getting the word of God out. I want you to keep getting the word of God out. Don't be silent. Don't hush, literally, is what the original says. Don't keep your mouth shut. Keep getting the word of God out and don't be afraid. Now, notice also in that verse, though, God is saying, look, it's not that you won't be attacked. You will be attacked. And anyone who keeps trying to get the Word of God out, any church that tries to keep getting the Word of God out, any person that keeps trying to get the Word of God out will eventually be attacked. But God promises Paul, those attacks will not be successful. They will not shut your ministry down. They will not prevent you from continuing to get the Word of God out. Don't be afraid. And notice the key here too, the tie-in. Don't be afraid is connected to another phrase in the very same verse. Or excuse me, in the very next verse. Because I'm with you. Make sure that you connect those two. The reason why any of us should never be afraid is because God is with us. It goes back to Sunday's message of God was with Mary and therefore she should not be afraid. And God wants to be with us, walking with us. And that's why we don't need to be afraid. That's why someone like a young shepherd boy like David could walk out and face a giant twice, maybe even three times his size and not be afraid because God was with him and he knew that. And that's exactly what God is saying here to Paul in this vision. And God may be saying that to you tonight to continue to be who God has called you to be. Don't back down. Don't be silent. Keep getting the Word of God out there. Keep trying to share Christ with others. Yes, you may be opposed. You may be rejected. You may be resisted. You may be attacked. But God will be with you if He's giving you these opportunities. And God wants us all to shine our light and get the Word of God out there. Don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated. Don't back down. We can all get to that place. Especially in our witness for Jesus Christ. Especially in a day and age, just as it was in Paul's day, where, you know, people weren't too friendly to Christians talking about Jesus Christ. But God calls us to be this and just tells us, don't be afraid. And then notice verse 11. So he stayed there in Corinth a year and six months, teaching the Word of God among them. This was Paul's primary ministry. He was instructing people. He was explaining the Word of God to people. But very interestingly, this word teaching also has the meaning of learning. And it is a reminder to us that anyone who is teaching and sharing the Word of God with others can never stop growing and learning themselves. If we want to lead tomorrow, we've got to keep growing today. If we want to teach tomorrow, we've got to keep learning today. We cannot impart to others what we do not possess ourselves. And so anytime the Bible talks about people teaching and sharing the Word of God with others, the implication from the Scriptures is also that we are a good learner. Because you can't be a good teacher if you're not a good learner. You can't share the Word of God with others if you're not possess- having it possess your life as well. Again, we can't impart what we don't know. And so we have to... Uh, take this sort of the full cycle or full circle. That God wants to impart His understanding and knowledge of the Scriptures to us so that we can share it. And as I said last week, I believe that the more we're willing to share it and and all of that and, and get it out there to others, the more God will give us, you know, as well. And we see that happening here with Paul. So Paul was a strong teacher. He believed in that. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit as well. Now, this passage here from verse 12 through verse 17, I'm not going to take a lot of time for this. Uh, It's not that it's not important. It's actually very important. But I, I want to sum it up in this way. We're introduced to a man in verse 12 named Galilo, who was the proconsul of Achaia what this meant was that basically he was the governor of this region of the Roman Empire. And having this kind of of position and weight that when he would render a judicial decision, it would set precedent throughout the rest of the empire. Now the reason why that's significant here is because basically he could have shut down Paul's ministry. He could have shut down Christianity. He could have said, we're not going to tolerate Christianity anymore. But he doesn't do that. And so his decision basically sets a precedent for many years to come in the Roman Empire that this new faith, if you will, called Christianity should be tolerated. That we should not shut it down. And that Paul's ministry and what he's doing should not be shut down. Because as he points out here to the Jews who brought Paul and, and his ministry, missionary team up to Galilo, they haven't done anything criminal. They're not doing anything criminal. I'm a guy set up by the Roman government to, to judge crimes and, and, and villainy and, and, and the breaking of, of civil law. He said, none of that has happened here. They're not doing any of that. They may be upsetting you because you don't like what they're saying because it conflicts with your religion, but that's not for me to decide. And so his decision here is really huge, even though, again you know, we didn't take time to necessarily go verse by verse here. This can be summed up rather quickly, and yet I do want you to note that the reason I think this was included in the Word of God was because this allowed Christianity and the missionary efforts to continue to move through the Roman Empire. Verse 18. Paul, after staying many more days in Corinth, said farewell to the brothers and sailed away to Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. He had his hair cut off at Sancreia because he had made a vow. I want to stop here. This is really important. Some people look at this and and say, made a vow? Why would Paul do that? Paul was a champion of grace. And why would somebody who has freedom in the grace of God, in a sense, go back under uh, law and in a sense, make a a Nazarite vow to God. Why would he do that? Well, I'm going to get to that in just a minute. I want to explain the vow first of all. Many would, in order to express thanks to God, it was a a thank offering to God, they would let their hair grow, if you could let your hair grow. And it would get to such a length that then they would cut off their hair They would take it to the temple in Jerusalem and they would offer it as a burnt offering. It was a thank offering, if you will. And I believe that the reason Paul did this at this time was because he had such a successful ministry in Corinth. And we know that from the books of 1st and 2nd Corinthians, that even though the church had its problems, Paul had an unbelievable, successful, prosperous ministry in that city of Corinth. Let's remember something about Corinth. Even though Athens gets all the press of ancient Greece, if you will, Corinth, at this time in history, was ten times larger than Athens was. Ten times larger. Corinth was like, if you wanted to reach the world because people were coming from all over the world to that port city, Corinth was the place. It was an important strategic place for the gospel to gain uh, footing. And so for Paul to have a successful ministry in Corinth, it was just a way for him to thank God for that and expresses thanks. And I thought, well, that's pretty cool because, you know, here we are the Tuesday before Thanksgiving and, and God gives me an opportunity to talk about someone who stopped and took the time to thank God for all that he had done. Now, I want to go back to this concept about, well, if Paul's such a champion of grace, why did he allow himself to do this? Well, Because, again, I think sometimes we get a misunderstanding of the freedom of grace and and of God's grace. Paul, because he is under grace, if this is something that he chose to do because he wanted to do it, not because he was forced to do it, not because he thought he had to do it, and he certainly wasn't asking or imposing someone else to do this. This was something that he chose to do on his own, then that's under God's grace. And and that's something that we need to allow others to do as well. As long as they're not trying to impose what they want to do for God on others, and as long as they understand this isn't something that I have to do, but this is something I want to do, then it's perfectly acceptable under the grace of God. Let me give you a modern example of that. In the season of Lent... There are some Christians that even in that season choose to give up things. And again, not because they feel they have to, uh, and they're certainly not trying, at least the ones that I know are not trying to make other people do it. It's just something between them and God that they want to do. Well, that's not legalism. That's not violating grace. That's a choice that they make to honor God in their personal way, and that's part of God's grace as well. That's the freedom, if you will, that God gives us under that grace. To be able to do things that we want to do at times, but obviously we understand we don't have to do it, and we're not forcing others to do it as well. And so I thought that's an important point that needs to be made here by Paul growing out his hair, cutting it off, and wanting to take it to Jerusalem and offer it as a thanksgiving to God for the successful ministry that God gave him in Corinth. So let's move on. When they reached Ephesus, Paul left Priscilla and Aquila, verse 19, behind there, but he himself went into the synagogue and addressed the Jews. When they asked him to stay longer, he would not consent, but said farewell to them and added, I will come back to you again if God wills. He wanted to get to Jerusalem to offer the offering of his hair. I, I'd be out of luck, so can I just tell you. Then he set sail from Ephesus and when he arrived at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church at Jerusalem and then went back down to Antioch. Again, we don't have the details of all that happened in Jerusalem, but it's obvious that one of the reasons he wanted to go there was to offer the offering of his hair that he had cut off. Verse 23. After he spent some time there, notice, Paul left and went through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. This is so important. Paul was not just someone who planted and started churches. Paul was someone who knew the absolute necessity and value of strengthening the disciples. And so he spent A lot of his ministry, teaching and strengthening those who were already Christians. It's what we need to do in our ministry. It needs to be about strengthening the disciples. God wants his people to be strong. He wants them to grow stronger. He wants all of us to grow stronger. In fact, the word strengthen here means to make stable, firm, fixed, which obviously implies a lot of things. And we've talked about this before. It's like a tree that has a deep root system that goes down deep. That's what God wants to see in our lives. He doesn't want to just see Christians come to Christ in salvation and just stay on the surface. He wants us to dig our roots down deep and be firmly grounded and rooted in Christ and in His Word. And that takes strengthening. That takes two things. People who are willing to be strengthened at all times and those who are willing to strengthen others. By the way, this word disciple literally means a learner. One who's growing. One who is increasing. In fact, here's a definition I'd like to give you tonight as well. Think of a disciple as a model or an example of progression. Not perfection. I want to take your memory back to that verse from 1 Timothy 4.15 where remember what Paul's saying to Timothy? Take pains with these things, Timothy, that I've told you about. Be wholly absorbed in them so that everyone will see your what? Progress. Progress. Disciples are models of progress or progression in our lives. Not perfection, but progression. That's a disciple. Someone who's always making progress, who's advancing, who's growing. This is going to be the very center of my daily devotion in the coming year, 2015. It's going to be every day there's going to be something related to that whole concept of making progress in our spiritual lives and what's connected to it. Because that's been the heartbeat of my ministry for 30 years. It's getting Christians to buy into this biblical concept of making progress and being a disciple of Jesus Christ and strengthening and growing. And speaking of that, very importantly, I want to end with this passage, the very end of chapter 18 where we don't have Paul, in a sense, as the center anymore. We have now Aquila and Priscilla pouring their lives in to a young man named Apollos. And there's several important things here in verses 24 through 28 that that need to be brought out tonight. First of all, you see here in this passage really the dynamics of what discipleship and growing Christians, meaning Christians that are growing, but also Christians that are helping others grow, how that all works and and what it needs to work. So first, let's start with Aquila and Priscilla. Here's a couple who, as they've been growing in their own relationship with God, and through obviously coming in contact with people like the Apostle Paul, are also looking to pour their lives into other Christians and help them to keep progressing and growing as well. They're looking. They're they're looking for people that have that, that want more. Let's say it that way. They're always looking for other fellow believers that want more. We need that in our church. Every group of believers needs Aquilas and Priscilla's and people like that. People who are growing, but people who are also on the lookout for other Christians that want more as well that they can pour their lives into. In fact, we could take a step back and... We can bring this back even from the church and even come back into the the very basic unit that God also created, the home, and see how this very same dynamic takes place between parents and children. Back in the book of Deuteronomy, what's God really saying to parents there? Before He tells parents to teach their children and to help them, He says, here's first you as parents have to be totally absorbed in me. You have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then you've got to allow the Word of God to be such a part of you that as you train your children and teach them, you're teaching them out of what you possess. Let me say it this way. We can impart to people what we know but we reproduce in people what we are. There's a difference. We can impart to people what we know, but when we reproduce ourselves and others, we reproduce what we are. And so that's why God starts with parents in the book of Deuteronomy saying, you got to make sure you know who you are because you'll never reproduce effectively in your children who you want them to be if you're not there. It it, it breaks down whenever children realize my parents are telling me to do things that they don't do themselves. You see. And that same dynamic God carried over to the church and says to leaders and to growing Christians the same thing. I want you to have a desire to pour your lives into others so that they can grow and progress and make progression. But in order to do that, you need to reproduce what you are. So make sure you are who you need to be so that you're as you reproduce, you're not just imparting what you know, you're reproducing who you are. That's what Aquila and Priscilla are here. They're the real deal. You see. But secondly, what you're going to see in a minute is this. The other dynamic here Is that this young man, and and you're going to read about him, he's amazing. I mean, the language that is used to describe this young man isn't described by too many people in the Bible. Isn't used by God to describe too many people. And yet, and yet, he never felt like he had arrived. And he had a humility... And a teachable spirit that when he came into contact with this couple, Aquila and Priscilla, he realized his lacking and his limitations of what he did know, and therefore he was willing to subject himself to be taught, to be discipled, to be led, to be mentored by this other couple. And that's just as important. Which made him then even more effective. Many times... This whole process of discipleship and growing others and growing ourselves breaks down because either we don't have people who are willing to pour into us, or we don't think we need it. Or we're satisfied where we are. And we don't have the humility and the teachableness to be like an Apollos and always be going after more. The other thing I want to point out before we read this is this, because you'll see this. The other thing that really impresses me about Apollos is this. Even though he had a very limited knowledge of God at the point he did, he gave it everything he had with what he knew. In other words, he didn't sit back and not minister, and not be out there just serving the Lord with everything he had because he was waiting for a time where he could know more. No, he took what he knew and he poured everything out of himself and squeezed everything out of himself with where he was. And I think what that shows God, obviously, is if I give this guy more, he'll do the same thing with that. So we just need to keep getting this guy into contact with people so he can keep growing. So let's read this fascinating passage and ending of Acts 18. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, arrived in Ephesus. He was an eloquent speaker, well-versed in the scriptures. This word means proficient in the scriptures that he knew. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. So there he even talks about already his teachable spirit, his willingness to be taught. And notice, with great enthusiasm, passion, zeal, the word in the Greek means to burn. He spoke and taught, and not just taught with passion, he taught accurately, with precision, the facts about Jesus, although, notice, he knew only the baptism of John. So there we see, okay, this guy gave his ministry everything he had, and everything he had, he used to the full. But he was limited in his understanding because he only knew the baptism of John the Baptist. He needed to be instructed more in who Jesus was in total and to become more informed about the ministry of Jesus on earth that he hadn't had up to this point. So here's where we come in. Notice verse 26. He spoke out fearlessly, boldly, courageously in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God to him even more accurately. These words, to take someone aside, means to become a friend or companion to. It also means one who is leading someone else, who's a mentor to them. In fact, let me say this. You'll you'll know who you are a mentor to or who is your mentor by answering this question. Who do you, who is it that seeks your advice, and who is it that you go to most often for advice? The act of giving advice is being a mentor. And that's what Aquila and Priscilla had become for Apollos. They were his spiritual mentor at this season. He was asking them much advice on things. And because he was humble and willing to continue to be taught by others who maybe knew a little bit more about the Word and the ministry of Jesus than he did, he actually then became even greater in his ministry. And notice verse 27 then, when Apollos wanted to cross over to Achaia, and branch out and expand his ministry, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he assisted greatly. He was a great help, a great great contribution to those who had believed by grace. Because he was willing to sit at the feet of Aquila and Priscilla and have his spiritual horizons expanded. See, up to this point, again, even though he threw himself totally into it, and he was totally absorbed in what God had called him to to this point, his understanding was about this what After he came to Aquila and Priscilla, he had a much wider view. He he had an understanding that was much deeper and wider than what he had before. And because of that now, it was going to open up even greater opportunities to minister and to get the Word of God out. And so it says, He refuted the Jews vigorously, verse 28, in public debate, demonstrating from the Scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. The key to this entire chapter is this last passage right here. Verse 24 through 28. Because if we could capture in our lives what is happening here in these verses, and we would be willing to buy into it and to put it into practice, our spiritual lives, the life of our church, the life of our brothers and sisters in Christ would be transformed just by taking the principles from verse 24 through 28 and applying them to our life. Because in one way or another, Throughout our Christian life, we are always going to be in both positions. There's going to be times where we're the Aquila and Priscilla in somebody else's life. We're the one who's a little bit further ahead. We're the one who's leading and guiding and mentoring and, and they're seeking our advice. But there's also, at the same time, we've got to be willing to be humble and teachable and we've got to be the Apollos at the same time because we've always got to be willing to sit under the feet of others who know a little bit more and who are further down the road than us so that then we can in turn keep being the Aquilas and Priscilla's as well. And that's the dynamic that God wants us always to maintain in our life. By the way, I'll end with this. There's one book of the Bible that for whatever reason, in the mind and wisdom of God, He chose not to make the human author evident to us. It's the New Testament book of Hebrews. A great book. In fact, my personal, if I had to share with somebody, if they asked me, what is my favorite book of the Bible, I usually tell people the book of Hebrews. And yet, out of all 66 books of the Bible, it is the only book of the Bible that we really don't have a handle on who the author is. And I'm not here tonight to try to convince you Because if God really wanted us to know who the author was in that book, he would have told us. So there's a reason why God doesn't want us to know who the human author of the book of Hebrews is. But my guess is, and I can't wait till I get to heaven to find out if I'm right or not, my guess is this man we've just been introduced to here in Acts 18, Apollos. Everything about The description of this man fits who the author of Hebrews is. In fact, I'll even go a step further. Did you notice in verse 24, just a little sidelight that we can really quickly pass over, it says he was from Alexandria? Well, in the book of Hebrews, not to get too technical, but in every book of the Bible, the human author was allowed by God, obviously, to shape the style of the book a little bit. God would get his word out, but God would use the human authors and their personality and their style to sort of shape it so that, again, every book sort of has its own little, you know, style to it. Well, in the book of Hebrews, there are what are called Alexandrianisms. In other words, phrases that were used by people from that particular city or region because it was a local thing. Now, we have that today. You know, I grew up in western Maryland. And there are things and, and phrases that we use in western Maryland that if I would have continued to talk like that out here, people would have looked at me like I was crazy. Because people in Phoenix don't talk like people in what they, they don't use certain phrases, you see you go down into the mountains of Tennessee and they're going to use their own little local expressions that we might not have any clue as to what they are, but those people know. And so again, maybe just a little clue that it could be Apollos is because whoever the author of Hebrews was, would have either been someone who would have been brought up or very familiar who would have spent a lot of time in Alexandria. They wouldn't have known these phrases that were used throughout the book had they never spent that kind of time there. Apollos is an unbelievable teacher of the Word of God. Remember something. Someone who rivaled Paul in his teaching ministry Because remember what Paul always said in the book of Corinthians over and over again when he would talk about you Corinthians have to stop choosing one teacher over another and you're, you know, in this camp that. And who would he always talk about? Apollos. You know, some of you think Paul's the best. Some of you others think Apollos is the best. But he would always mention Apollos as teaching ministry. This young man was a tremendous teacher of the Word of God. And someone that I have tried to to pattern my teaching ministry after, because any one of us who desires or who is a teacher of the Word of God, we would do well to pattern our teaching ministry right after the kind of teacher that Apollos was described here in Acts 18. The twists and turns of ministry. Discipleship and growth. It's all there for us. My encouragement to you is coming out of a chapter like this, keep getting stronger. Remember, Paul, one of Paul's main emphasis in his ministry was strengthening the disciples. So my final question to us tonight is, what am I doing in my life to keep growing stronger? What am I doing in my life to keep strengthening my spiritual walk? We always need to keep growing and keep getting stronger, and keep strengthening our grip. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these great chapters where, Lord, you allow us to follow in the footsteps of Paul, and Aquila, and Priscilla, and Apollos, and others, Lord. To walk down those roads with them, and to learn the dynamics of their ministry, and how they operated, and how you operated in and through them. And God, there's so much that we can glean, so much that we can take away from them and their ministry and how they approached life. And so God, I pray that we wouldn't just let this information sit here on this page, but let it leap off the page into our lives and help it to change our lives and strengthen us, Lord, to me to be more effective for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys, for being here. We'll see you next week.